hearts I thought I'd won Mystery of misery well, Good morning, Capital City Christian Church. How are you this morning? My name is Joe. Everybody stand up and sing while we worship. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my turn till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures I tried.
Fantastic. There we go. Check. Check. There it is. All right. Hey, guys. I'm Ben Webb. I'm a, uh, I'm a minister around here. That's kind of cool. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're worshiping with us today. And uh, just a couple things that we want to run by you real quick just to let you know what's going on. At the end of the service today, we're doing a thing called Getting Started 101. Uh, it is a, uh, a time to just come in and ask questions. So I'm going to be in the back out in the foyer to your left. There's a room that says the Connections Room. I'm going to be hanging out in that area. If you've got questions about who this guy Jesus is, if you're wondering what it would look like for you to begin a relationship with him, what it looks like in the context of this church, we'd love to have those conversations with you and uh, just kind of try to set you up, uh, help you in taking that next step for you. Uh, this month, we are asking for you to participate in a big event that we're doing here at the end of the month. It's called our Trunk or Treat event. We do it on Halloween, October 31st. And so this month, we're asking you to start by bringing in candy, uh, bring in lots of candy. I know it's been said that Doc and I are going to steal half of it. It's not true. We're not the government. And so we're not going to do that. Uh, we're we're going to let it be for the kids unless it's Snickers. If it's Snickers, then we make no promises, right? But if you can bring that in uh, for the kids, we'll accumulate all that stuff. We'll, we'll have a great event. We have a lot of different families here in the community who come through, and it's a chance to just kind of bless and encourage them, a fun thing here on our property. So we'd love for you to go ahead and just bring in candy. We've got a display set up. Just throw it in that trunk out there. It'll look great. And along with that, there's a QR code popping up behind me right now. If you would take out your phones and scan that in, it doesn't tell you what it's for. It's a trap. I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, but what we need is we need people to sign up to do a trunk. All right. And so we, we want to have as many people involved uh, come in. Every trunk is just another place for a kid to be excited to get another piece of candy. It's a lot of fun. And so we would love for you to participate in that. Uh, this is one of our all hands on deck kind of events. It takes a lot of volunteers, a lot of people to make this happen. And the more people we have, the more trunks we have, the better this event is. So we want to challenge you to do that again. Scan that in and do that. Now, uh, I have three kids, and they are avid readers. They like to read a lot, and uh, they, you know, I'm, I wasn't much of a reader myself. And so early on in their childhood as they were reading, they, they started finding these, these books that I found fascinating. It's not something that I really read much myself, okay? But they had these books, and they're called Choose Your Own Adventure. You guys ever seen those before? And they would take these books, and what it is, you know, you kind of read a little bit of the story, and then it would give you an option, okay? You can choose uh, one of two different decisions within the context of the story and then it tells you based on the decision where to go in the book to read the next section of the story and you can kind of go through the whole thing and kind of weave your way through as if you were one of the characters and make it out to where you can kind of make up your own story if that makes sense it, it leads to a certain resolution uh, and it's just a fascinating concept and I even think about uh, us in this room right now think of all the decisions that you've made over the course of this morning as to you know when you would set your alarm and when you would stop hitting snooze and when you would choose to arrive, when what you you know where you would park and where you would sit, and all just kind of your own choose your own adventure here at Cap City, all the different decisions. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about the will of God and what does it look like to answer or, or to make decisions based on what He would make decisions on. And I want you to see this. It's from the Lord's Prayer. It says, "Our Father in heaven, may Your name be kept holy. May Your kingdom come soon. May Your will be done on earth." as it is in heaven? What does it look like for us to do things that are in his will? What does it look like for his will to be done on earth as we participate in that and make those decisions? Doc's obviously going to unpack that more, but for now I want to invite you to stand and let's continue worshiping.
Well, Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. And earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Oh, Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us. Forgive the ones who sin against us, forgive them, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let your kingdom come, oh Father, let your kingdom come, Father, let your will be done, on earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Let your kingdom come, Father. Let your will be done on earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us as we forgive the ones who sin against us. Forgive them and lead us not into temptation, but to
Let's pray together. Father, for your invitation to your presence, we give you our thanks. And now we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Okay, guys, let's, uh, let's stand together and read aloud an, a really important verse from the book of Romans. Ready? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Stay standing. I'm going to tweak just a couple of the words so we can make it personal, okay? Let's read it again. I will not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Then I will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You can sit. Now, can you read those words or say those words and mean them? Would you want to? How much does God's will matter to you? Now, if you're a Jesus follower, do you suppose it's important to follow God's will? Wouldn't that be kind of what it means to be a Jesus follower? And what if God's will clashes with your will, which it will? When they clash, who wins? If you're not a Jesus follower yet, and there really is a big G God, and if that big G God actually does have a will for your life, should you care? What would it matter if you don't? Now, there are a lot of Jesus followers who do want to know God's will on some of the big ones. Does God want me to get married? To whom? Kids? Buy a house? Which one? Does he want me to take a job, go to college? Do you want me to retire? Do you want me to go to some particular church to give some particular percentage of my income back to volunteer to serve somewhere? We ask big questions like that. And there are some Jesus followers who actually try to pursue the will of God for even the tiniest decisions in their lives. When I was at chapel, one of the students preached in chapel, and he said, if you're sensitive to the will of God, he will tell you whether to choose orange juice or grapefruit juice for breakfast. You buy that? Randy, who's one of our preaching partners, Randy said that there was a lady in one of his churches who'd go to Kroger into the cereal aisle and start praying, God, which box do you want me to pick? Do you think that's what living in the will of God means? Bottom line, do you think that God has a detailed map for your life? Has he already mapped out the choices he wants you to make? How detailed is that map? And if there is a detailed map like that, how are you supposed to figure it out? Is there a voice you should hear, a sign that you should see from God, a feeling that you should feel when you make the right choice? Is that what doing life in the will of God is supposed to be like? A quest to discover God's perfect will in all of my decisions. And if there is a perfect will of God for my life, why would God make it so hard to discover? And what if I choose wrong? What if I marry the wrong person? What if I choose the wrong career path? Have I already blown it? 
from that point forward, do I live outside God's will? And why is it that some Jesus followers think that they know the God, God's will so confidently? How can they be sure? And where does reason fit in? Where does free will fit in? Could it actually be that God wants us, even expects us, to make some of our own choices? But what if I choose wrong? We're in a series that we're calling Listen. And it's about one huge part of what it means to do life with God, for God, God's way together. It's not just about believing in God. It's about doing life with God, which we believe is the very best way to live. Sometimes doing life with God means listening. But sometimes it's almost like God whispers, you choose, you choose. Sometimes it's almost like God whispers, I've given you the capacity and the responsibility to make some God-honoring decisions. You choose. You buy that? I'm going to lay out a model this morning that may sound kind of strange for some of you guys, but I think it's the biblical model. Do you hear what I just said? I think most Jesus followers messed this up. I think this is the biblical model. Number one. Some things are God's will for every single person, every single place, for all of time. Some things are just right or wrong. Number two, sometimes God has a specific plan for each person. In fact, I think he's got a specific plan for each of us. We were made unique. You have unique gifts, unique skills that God gave you so that you can make a difference. So occasionally, God has a specific place for you to be or a specific job for you to do. That's God's will too. But most of the time, God expects us to make God-honoring decisions. He gives us the ability and the responsibility, the freedom to make God-honoring decisions. Maybe we can picture it like this. Now, some of you guys have seen this before. Most of you probably haven't. But let's say there's a circle. It's a big circle. It represents the moral will of God. Some things inside the circle are always the will of God for every person, everywhere, for all of time, right? Some things outside the circle are always wrong. They're morally wrong. They're a violation of the will of God. I'm going to unpack that in a couple of minutes. But the bottom line is this. Maybe the biggest part of living in the will of God is staying inside the circle. Principle number one, when God reveals his moral word to us, will to us in the word of God, just do it, right? We're Jesus followers. And then there are these dots, these dots. These are the choices that we are free to make as long as we choose inside the circle, we're not free to make choices outside the circle, but we are free to make a plethora of God-honoring choices inside the circle. Now, it's not like God's holding out on us. God is smart. God is good. And whether we understand it yet or not, whenever we choose outside the circle, we're going to mess ourselves up or we're going to mess other people up, right? So principle number two is this. As long as you stay inside the circle, you are free and responsible to make God-honoring decisions. 
Again, I'm going to unpack that a little bit more in a couple minutes. I'm just trying to give you a picture that you can hang these pieces on. One more piece to the picture. We're going to add a magnet. You know, a magnet, depending on which way you hold it, it can either push something away from it or it can pull something towards it, right? It's kind of what God does sometimes. We are free to make choices within the circle, but sometimes God tugs at us or he nudges us because he has a specific place where he wants us to be or a specific job for us to do. So he opens doors or closes doors. He prompts, he nudges sometimes. So principle number three is this. Be open when and if God nudges. That's the big picture. Now before I say a little bit more about the circle, the dots, and the magnet, I'm going to give you a couple more ideas. First of all, we Jesus followers often obsess over the wrong part of the diagram. Sometimes we obsess over this magnet. Could that be God nudging me? Is he opening a door, shutting a door? How can I get God to speak more clearly? And we panic. Sometimes we obsess over the dots, the choices we make. How can I make sure the choices I make are the right ones? How do I choose between two legitimate options, both inside the will of God? And we panic. And probably our major concern ought to be just staying inside the circle. Most of the time, God's moral will is pretty clear. Maybe our biggest concern should just be to stay inside the circle, right? And here's another big idea. Sometimes doing the will of God is going to be hard. Living in the will of God can be hard because we're living in a world that's at war with God and it sucks us in. And because sometimes God's will clashes with my will. Sometimes I don't want to do life God's way. Sometimes I want to be the boss of me. So it's going to be hard sometimes. But if you will do it his way, your life will be better because God is good and he's smart and he always wants what's best for his kids. Now, I'm going to unpack this model a little bit, but I can only unpack it a little bit this morning. So if you've got questions, you want more clarity on this stuff, come back Wednesday night. Ben and I are going to put some more meat on these bones Wednesday night over in the Student Worship Center at 6.30, right during our growth study. Let's talk about the circle, the moral will of God. Two weeks ago, Ben preached about listening to God's word, and he quoted a verse from the Apostle Paul. This is what the verse said. Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that. We believe that this book was inspired by God. It reveals to us God's truth, exposes our sin, corrects our mistakes, and trains us to live God's way so that we can do the work that he has prepared for us to do. Guys, what the Bible teaches us about God, what the Bible teaches us about godly living, that's what forms the circle. The Bible teaches us some principles for living that apply to all of us, everywhere, for all of time. It teaches us basic right and wrong. It reveals to us the moral will of God. Now, guys, that circle is not arbitrary. 
God didn't just flip a coin to decide what things would be right and what things would be wrong. The moral will of God is actually an expression of God's own character. Things are right because they are godly. Things are wrong because they are ungodly. First Peter put it like this. In fact, the Bible puts it like this a lot. It says, you must be holy. Do you know why? Because God says, because I'm holy. I want you to be like me, God says. God's will is that we become godly, which means that we live in a way that reflects his character. So this circle is the same for all people everywhere for all of time. Love is God's will. Lust is not. Joy is God's will. Melancholy is not. Patience is God's will. A hot temper is not. Humility is God's will. Arrogance is not. Generosity is God's will. Selfishness is not. Gratitude is God's will. Presumption is not. Courage is God's will. Cowardice is not. Contentment is God's will. Greed is not. You get it? But guys, it's not just the do's and the don'ts. It's about goals we set, the priorities we chase. All of us were created by God to worship Him. We were created by God to connect with each other, to grow as Jesus' followers, and to use the gifts that He has given us to serve Him. Here's the point. If worship is not a primal piece of who I am, I am outside the will of God. If you're not engaging regularly and passionately in worship, you are not living in God's will. Do you get that? If you're not connecting seriously, not only with your physical family, but with your spiritual family, you're living outside God's will. If you're not growing more Christ-like, if you're not using the gifts that he gave you to make a difference, you're living outside God's will. Can you understand that? Guys, if you want to know what God's will is for your life, it's a good place to start. It's probably the biggest part. And again, one more thing that's so important, the moral will of God is revealed right here. This is our final and complete authority for the moral will of God. The moral will of God is not about what you feel. It's not about what you feel is right or wrong. It's about what God says is right. I mean, I've heard so many people use a profanity. They say something like this, well, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. And they use that profanity whenever they want to do something that's outside the moral will of God. God wants me to be happy so I don't have to play by these rules. It will never be God's will for you to do anything that is contrary to the moral principles revealed in the Bible. Do you understand that? It's not about what's here. It's about what's here, right? Well, that's the circle. Let's talk about the dots. Some of you guys may push back on this part, but I've always thought that God was kind of like a perfect parent. When our kids are really, really small and really, really stupid, because that's what they are, right? We make all other choices for them. We choose when they eat, what they eat, what they wear, when they go to bed, when they get up, how they play, with whom they play, how they talk to people, we, we decide everything for them. We reward them when they do what we say and we punish them when they don't. You know why? 
because we're training them. We're training them to make good choices. So when our kids get a little bit older, we start letting them make some decisions within boundaries that we set. When our kids are adults, we still like to make decisions for them. I mean, every parent feels like he's smarter than his kids, right? But what pleases me most with my children, Alethe and Andy, is not that they do whatever I want them to do. It's when I see them making wise choices. It's when I see them making good decisions on their own, God-honoring decisions on their own. That's when I'm most proud. What if God is kind of like that? What if God is most proud of you when you make God-honoring decisions on your own? Here's the deal about the dots. This is big. When the Bible gives no clear command or principle, we are free and we are responsible to make our own choices. We pick the dots. A lot of us are like, but what if I make the wrong choice? What if I marry the wrong person? What if I take the wrong job? Listen, guys, any decision that we make within the boundaries of God's will is acceptable to God. God sets the boundaries. Inside the boundaries, there's freedom. Where the Bible does not speak, there's freedom. We're free to make choices. Now, if God has a specific place for us to be or a specific thing for us to do, he'll nudge us. That's the magnet part. We'll get to that in a minute. You see, God wants us to grow up. He wants us to be adults, to freely choose a God-honoring path. He does not expect us to be like children who rely on Him to make every decision for us. This is all over the pages of Scripture, guys. James is the brother of Jesus, and he puts it like this. He says, if you need wisdom, wisdom, ask God, and He'll give it to you, right? Why would you need wisdom? It's to make God-honoring choices, right? He grants us wisdom so we can make God-honoring choices. The Apostle Paul put it like this. He says, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, he gives freedom. But then he says, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. In other words, you're free to choose. Just stay inside the circle, guys. Get married if you want. But marry a Jesus follower. Buy the house, buy the car you want, as long as you're not inhibiting your ability to be generous. Take the job you want, as long as it doesn't draw you away from God. Go to the church you want, as long as you're worshiping and connecting and growing and serving. See, the idea that the Christian life is about trying to discover all of the choices that God has already made for me is not the biblical model. The idea that our quest as Christians to get God to make all of our decisions for us is non-biblical at least and maybe even anti-biblical at worst. One more piece. You've got the magnet. You see, sometimes God does have a specific thing for you to do or a specific place for you to be, and He's got His ways to nudge us if you're willing to let Him use you. Now, the most powerful nudge from God that I ever felt was His call for me to be a minister. It is not what I wanted for my life. God made it crystal clear that that's where He wanted me to be. So, yes, sir. But usually when I've had a big decision to make, I have felt no clear nudge from God. 
I take the job here at Capital City or do I pursue this job opening at Lincoln Christian College? And it's kind of like God whispers, you choose. Just be God-honoring. And you can see God working that way in the Bible in a whole lot of places. This is one of the clearest. I'm going to take you to one of the clearest episodes. Book of Acts. God, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is called by God to preach to the Gentiles. So Paul makes a plan. Paul's plan, how to preach to the Gentiles. He started working his plan to plant churches. That was God's will. Now I'm going to tweak the words a little bit to put it into our context. I'm just warning you. It says that Paul and Silas traveled through Lexington and Louisville, right? Because God had prevented them from preaching the word in Cincinnati at that time. We don't know why. We don't know how. It says when they came to the Indiana border, their plan was to go north to Indianapolis. Spirit of God wouldn't allow them to go. We don't know why. We don't know how. See, they made a plan, and they were working their plan to fulfill God's call. That was normal. But in this case, God had a specific place for them to be. So it says, that night, Paul had a vision. A man from Tennessee was standing there, pleading to them, come to Nashville and help us. They need help, right? So we decided to leave for Tennessee at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there fascinating episode. Here's the point. It's okay to make God-honoring decisions. It's okay to make God-honoring plans. The apostles did. But if God nudges, just do it. It's not always fun. God nudged Paul, and he went. When he got to Macedonia, he was flogged in Philippi and imprisoned and put in stocks. He went from there to Thessalonica where he was dragged before a court and expelled from the city. He went to Berea following God's call and he was at the center of another riot and expelled from that city. In Corinth, he faced personal threats in another court and he planted the flag of the kingdom of God in Europe. Was it worth it? Here's the deal, guys. God is kind of like that magnet. Number one, God does nudge, nudge us sometimes. Sometimes he has a specific place for us to be or a specific job for us to do. And every single one of us has felt God's nudge. You buy that? Every single one of us has been nudged by God at least once and probably way more than once. You can see God nudging folks all the way through the Bible. Sometimes he nudges us into tough places because it takes that nudge to get us there. Number two, we have an amazingly creative God, and he nudges us in an infinite variety of ways. He does not nudge all of us the same. You cannot judge a brother or a sister by how God nudges you. He won't even nudge you the same all the time. Just read the Bible and see how many different ways that God nudged his people, and he's just as creative today. Number three, Please be humble. I have absolute confidence in God. I do not have absolute confidence in me or in you. I can misinterpret God's nudges. So can you. Some Jesus followers are way too confident in their ability to hear God. Number four, and this is huge, 
God almost never forces himself on us. Almost never. That's why I use the word nudge. It's important to God that we can tell him no. I think because it makes our yeses more precious. God lets us resist his nudges. And sometimes life will be easier for us when we resist his nudges. Because God will take you to some uncomfortable places. But in the end, his way is always best. So how does God nudge you? How does that magnet work? I've seen some people who just kind of open the Bible at random and put their, their finger down on it, find a verse, and they hope that God speaks to them about some decision they're making in that verse. That's not using the Bible. That's superstition. Others think it's about circumstances. If it feels good, if life is good, if you're happy, it's the will of God. If it's hard, doesn't feel good, it must be outside the will of God. That doesn't work either, guys. Sometimes living in the will of God is hard. It's still best. Sometimes God opens doors. Sometimes he closes doors. The Bible talks about that kind of stuff several times. And God still does that sometimes. Some people lay out fleeces. They get that from a story in the book of Judges about this twit named Gideon. I don't like fleeces much as a way to, to feel God's nudge. Fleeces are more than just a circumstance or a door. They're tests that we design for God. It seems to me that unless God tells you to lay down a fleece like he told Gideon, it's an arrogant way of communicating with God. We'll talk about that more on Wednesday night. How about your emotions, your feelings? I suppose sometimes God does use our emotions to nudge us. But emotions are notoriously unreliable. Sometimes you're happy doing God's will. Sometimes you're not. Bottom line, it doesn't matter whether it feels good or not. If God nudges, just do it. I'll never forget Buford Bryant, Professor Buford Bryant, standing up in chapel at Emmanuel School of Religion when I was a student there, and he was telling us students, God did not call you to be happy. He called you to do a job. Just get it done. He was right. We do what's right, not what we feel. How about personal guidance from God? Maybe a voice, a vision, a dream. Sometimes in the Bible, God does that kind of stuff. Sometimes he uses miracles to nudge people, and he still can. And there have been occasions, I think, that I have heard or sensed or felt the whisper of God. Those times are precious to me, and they're rare. That's okay. My job is to be receptive. God will determine how and when to nudge me. And sometimes God uses people to help us to discover God's will. Ben talked about that last week. I don't have time this morning to unpack these things. We're going to go way deeper into it on Wednesday night, if you're interested. Doing life with God. Listening to God. Living in the will of God. Does it matter to you? Does any of this stuff matter to you? Should it? Isn't it in part what defines being a Jesus follower? I mean, being a Jesus follower is about more than just believing some stuff about God. And I'll grant you, sometimes God's nudges are painful. Sometimes doing God's will is simply not fun. 
but it's best. Serving God costs Paul whippings, beatings, stonings, imprisonment, shipwrecks, countless other dangers, and it also brought him no regrets. I think I'd rather have no regrets. My own following God's call to ministry has brought me a lot of pain, to be honest. Some pleasure, a lot of pain too. It has also brought me no regrets. And I'd wager that someday when you look back, you're going to regret a lot of things, but you will never regret your obedience to the nudges of God. See, guys, living in the will of God is not about our pleasure. It's about our surrender. And here's the big idea for every Jesus follower in the room. Are you ready? Being a Jesus follower is about submitting in advance to the will of God. Submitting in advance to the will of God. I don't know where God's going to take me. I don't know what God is always going to want me to do. But if it's His will, we say yes in advance. That's what it means to call Jesus Lord, isn't it? Listen, guys, the biggest problem in this room is not ignorance of the will of God. The biggest problem in this room is that too often we know God's will and we don't do it. We feel his tug, we feel his nudges, and we fight him. The biggest problem in this room is our refusal to submit in advance to God's will. Maybe we think that surrender is going to cost us too much. Maybe we fear the loss of control. We don't want anybody to be our boss, not even God. But you'll always come to regret resisting the nudges of God. You will never regret living in the will of God. So where's God nudging you now? If you are not a Jesus follower, he is tugging at you right now to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I think you can feel it. Every one of us has felt that tug. Some of us fought it for a time. But if God is tugging at you, nudging at you to bend your knees to Jesus, just do it. How about the rest of us who already call Jesus Lord of our lives, at least with our lips? You're still fighting his tugs? Where is God nudging you right now that you're fighting him? Bottom line, will you make him the Lord of every part of your life? You won't regret it. We're going to come to a part of our service after this next song where we act this out. It's really what we're doing. When you come to this table and you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're not only giving him thanks for the sacrifice that he made for you, but you're giving yourself over to him as your Savior and your Lord. This is an act of submission when we gather around this table. At the table, there's also a box there where we give our offerings, our first part back to God. That's also an act of worship. It's an act of submission to our God. It's a white bucket. If you have a dollar or two you want to drop in there, it's a generous bucket. We use it to help people who are hurting. This is a time to respond. This is a time to submit again in advance to the will of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for the hope that you give us. 
We're grateful that we have even the capacity to do life in your will. We know it's good. In Christ we pray these things. Amen.
don't feel like he's working in our lives, he's there. Even when we can't feel and we can't see what he's doing, God is there. He's there with you. He's for you. He's got you in the palm of his hand. Just take time to worship him today. Even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. See it Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working.
the night Wanting a place to hide this weary soul This bag of bones I try with all my might But I just can't win the fight I'm slowly drifting This bag of bones Just when I ran out of the road, I met a man I didn't know. He told me that I was not alone. You picked me up, turned me around, made my feet on solid ground. I thank the master, I thank the savior, because you knew. Deny what I see. That's right. I got no choice but to believe my talents are burning like ashes in the wind. So, so long to my old friends, burning and bitterness. You can just keep them moving. Oh, you ain't welcome here.
glad that God and you have this relationship that you've chosen him and everything that he's done for you. Go tell the world about it. Go tell everybody that you know, okay? Hope to see you next week.